All right, y'all ready to hear some more interesting things on Qumran and how they traded the Bible? I'm sure you are. <sighs> Lord knows I am. I'm very excited, aren't we all? <laughs> Alright, so as we get into the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they treated the Bible, naturally the question comes up, uh, did they have anything from the New Testament in there? After all, this was a community that had existed between 100 BC and 100 AD, and since they collected a lot of various texts and various fragments of things, well, why wouldn't they have something from the Gospels or the Epistles? So, when it comes to the Greek Bible translations in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have hardly anything. Literally, just tiny little fragments that are so difficult to read that most people cannot figure out what verse is being translated. Supposedly, there's like a verse from Jeremiah in there. Uh, supposedly, there's a little bit from Exodus in the Greek. And somebody pointed out, hey, wait. The Tetragrammaton here is not using the Greek word kurios as a replacement for it. They phonetically translated the Tetragrammaton into Greek. That's interesting, if at all applicable. We don't really have anything of Greek Bible translations. Supposedly, there are a few scraps that may have been from the New Testament. Uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 28, chapter 6, verse 48. Um, from the Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 28, verse 38, and 1 Timothy 3, 16, and 4, verses 1 and 3. Supposedly, that's, that's there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The problem is, is that the strongest case of that uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 52 and 53, that's a teeny, tiny, little, tiny scrap where there's really only four legible letters in that. So why is this important? Why am I bringing this up before actually getting into our content here for the Dead Sea Scrolls? Because you got to keep in mind, if there were New Testament documents there, this would be reflected in the other stuff we've been reading. The Qumran community would have been writing about Jesus. They would have been writing about the actual Savior. They would have been talking about the resurrection. But the Qumran community were not Christians. None of them were. In fact, if anything, in the supposed parables here, we have evidence that, well, they did not like what they were hearing from Jesus. <laughs> so, no, I don't believe there's anything from the New Testament in the Dead Sea Scrolls. If there is, there's a reason it was ripped up because they hated what they were reading. Case closed. If there was stuff from the New Testament, and this was a community that was actually trying to be Christians, as some people have claimed, well, then they were a heretical cult and were rightly excised, disestablished, taken out, excommunicated from the church. End of story. So the illegible, semi-legible Greek fragments of Scripture are there, but it's only regarding like a few Bible verses. And honestly, I'm very grateful we don't have anything from the New Testament because let's see how they uh, quote-unquote reworked the Pentateuch. So from fragment number 4Q158, fragments 1 and 2, this is supposed to be from Genesis 32 verses 24 to 32 and Exodus 
4, verses 27 and 28. And Jacob was left alone there, and a man wrestled with him. When the man did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his thigh. And Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him, and he seized him. And he said to him, What is your name? Dot, dot, dot. And he said to him, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall be Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked and said, Tell me, pray, what is your name? And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And he said to him, May the Lord make you fruitful and multiply you. May he grant you knowledge and understanding, and may he save you from all violence and dot, 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 until this day and until everlasting generations. And when he went on his way after he had blessed him there, and he dot, 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 and the sun rose upon him as he passed Panuel, limping because of his thigh, dot, 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 on this day. And he said, You shall not eat the sinew of the hip, which is upon the two hollows of the thigh until this day. And for some reason, the text just flows immediately into Exodus 4. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs which he had charged him to do. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, When you bring out the people of Israel, dot, 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 to go as slaves, and behold, these are 430 years. So for the most part, this fragment here is somewhat accurate. When it comes to the Genesis pericope here, Genesis 32, verses 24 to 32, the only real difference that you'd find between the Hebrew manuscripts and what the Dead Sea Scrolls has here is that last part, where it says, And he said, You shall not eat the sinew of the hip, which is upon the two hollows of the thigh until this day, versus Genesis 32 in the Masoretic text and the other Hebrew manuscripts saying, Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Okay. There's a difference there that maybe whoever was copying this stuff down went, oh, we need to make this a straight command, make it clearer for some of the dum-dums in our congregation. Now, inexplicably, they have this Exodus 4 passage that just seamlessly goes in. Like, you start in Genesis 32, but you stay for the Exodus 4 that is totally unrelated to the passage. Again, for the most part, with one exception... It is clear. It is an okay translation. And the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Okay, and that's, that's there. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs which he had charged him to do. Okay, so that's in the Bible. That's there. This next sentence, And the Lord spoke to me, saying, When you bring out the people of Israel to go as slaves, and behold, there are 430 years, that's not in the text. That's nowhere. That is not in the Septuagint. That is not in the Masoretic text. That is not in any formal translation of Holy Scripture. That is not in any manuscript outside of what Qumran is doing. So you are looking here at the product of this Qumran community where they took one passage, superglued it to another, and then they added some stuff of their own. And this is them treating the Bible this way, the inspired word of God. That's an abomination. That is a nonsensical abomination. Were they dropping acid in the desert to do this? You're taking two unrelated passages. You're sticking them together. Why? No answer. Now you're adding a verse of your own, which wasn't there in the Bible. Why? I don't know. 
but it sounds like a pretty darn bad idea to mutilate God's word this way. Now, the brave copy-pasta method of translating the Bible gets into this next fragment, which is supposedly part of Genesis chapter 28, verse 6. Let's read how Qumran reads it. You shall see him, dot, 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 you shall see in peace, dot, 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 your death. And upon your eyes, dot, 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 why should I be bereft of both of you? And Isaac called Rebekah his wife and told her all these words after Jacob her son, dot, dot, dot. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. Okay, let's do an experiment here. Here's Genesis 28, verse 6. In the English... From the Masoretic text and other ancient Hebrew sources, as well as the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus codices here translated. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Does that sound like what we just read? Or how about the preceding verse that they included there, Genesis 27 verse 45? which reads, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? How does it read, albeit fragmentary, in Qumran? You shall see him, dot, dot, dot. You shall see in peace, dot, 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 your death and upon your eyes, dot, dot, dot. Why should I be bereft of both of you? It has a single piece of it that is actually scripture here. This is, uh, how are they not embarrassed? How are they not embarrassed by this? What It doesn't even shore up their bizarro world theology. This doesn't shore up their giant ideas. It does not shore up their astrology or their worship of tons and tons and tons of gods that they would tell you, oh, no, 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 it's just honoring them, right? What does this serve? It's like an exercise, like they're just practicing mutilating the Bible so they can get better at it. There's no excuse that you would take two unrelated passages, squish them together, and here in this fragment we just read, taking one verse and then have it seamlessly flow into Genesis 28 verse 6. That doesn't make sense. They had the Bible. They had scripture. There is a complete copy of Isaiah in Qumran. And Lord knows they were having no troubles actually finding scrolls and finding crap to write on. So what is the point of this? I can only surmise that they are squishing things together, getting practice, and maybe, maybe, if we're going to be super duper duper generous here, maybe they were practicing Targumitic writing. Maybe they're like, okay, we can take this verse and this verse, and we can, we can kind of skip the other verses in between them and squish them together to help us in summarizing the Bible. Maybe this fragment here from Genesis 27 and 28 counts. The other one, taking from Genesis and Exodus, and two totally, again, unrelated texts, that's not Targumetic writing. So I'm trying to maybe be a little bit generous, a little bit of a better construction on things, but I am failing horribly because, well, they suck. Anyway, let's move on to the next fragment. Let's see if they, maybe, maybe we can understand the purpose to this later on. <clears throat> from Exodus chapter 15, supposedly, verses 16 through 21, plus a supplement, and 15 verses 22 through 26. Dot, dot, dot. Till thy people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom thou hast purchased. 
Thou wilt bring them in and plant them on thine own mountain, the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thine abode, the sanctuary which thy hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. And Miriam the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Next fragment. Dot, 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 thou hast despised, dot, 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 for pride, dot, dot, dot. Thou art great, a savior, dot, dot, dot. The hope of the enemy has perished, and dot, 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 has stopped, dot, dot, dot. They have perished in the mighty waters. The enemy, dot, 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 and lifts up their height. Thou hast given a ransom, dot, 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 he who acts proudly. And Moses led Israel onward from the sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days and found no water. They came to Merah, but they could not drink the water of Merah, because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, who showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, If you will listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give heed to his commandments and judgments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So obviously that middle part there, thou hast despised for pride, thou art great, a savior, the hope of the enemy has perished and has stopped. They have perished in the mighty waters, the enemy and lifts up to their height. Thou hast given a ransom, he who acts proudly. According to Qumran, this is all a part of Miriam's song. However, what does the actual Old Testament say? Miriam takes up her timbrel, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. That's it. Okay, so they made an addition here. They added to the Bible. But why? Why did they do that? Well, it sounds to me that they are trying to add some sort of musical interlude, perhaps for a liturgical use here. Thou hast despised for pride. Thou art great a savior. Suddenly now they're singing a song. They're putting words into Miriam's mouth so as to maybe inspire greater song in the people. Maybe this could be something that they, they dramatize it for a church service to use it in their liturgy, have everybody read it together. Problem, they don't say that. There's nothing that indicates that that's what they're doing. It just looks like it. If only they would talk about this. They never say what they're doing to the Bible when they mangle it like this. They don't. You could in theory claim, oh, well, these are just supplementary texts here that they're putting in there as a form of commentary or expanding it to make it a little bit clearer. So that, you know, just like how, you know, you read your own uh, Martin Luther commentary on the Bible. Yes, but see, that's the problem. Luther says that that's what he's doing. When you read, say, Kurt Marquardt doing some sort of commentary, he says, this is a commentary on it. They have it right there on the book. In Qumran, they just add stuff to the Bible and stare at you blankly. <laughs> at least that's the feeling I get. Thank God they're not around today to stare at me as I read what they're doing to the scriptures. 
But finally, here, here's the last text of their quote-unquote reworked Pentateuch from Leviticus 22, 42, and 24, 2, and then a supplement. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All that are native in Israel shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made your fathers dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, Vakat. And Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord, Vakat. And the Lord said to Moses, Command the children of Israel, saying, When you enter the land which I am giving to you as an inheritance, and you dwell upon it securely, you shall bring wood for a burnt offering, and for all the service of the house which you shall build for me in the land, to lay it on the altar of burnt offering, and the calves for Passover sacrifices, and peace offerings, and thank offerings, and free will offerings, and burnt offerings daily, dot, 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 and for the doors, and for all the service of the house you shall offer, dot, 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 the festival of oil, the twelve tribes, they shall offer wood, dot, dot, dot. Those who offer on the first day shall be Levi, dot, 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 and the third day, Reuben and Simeon, and on the fourth day. Okay, that's it for that fragment. Let's examine how much of that is actually in the Bible, and maybe we'll get an idea of why they did what they did. So, in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 42 says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. Okay, check, check, good. And it continues that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. Okay, that is in the text. It doesn't have the, the goofy vakat little pauses there that Qumran likes to put there. But here is the interesting part. <laughs> uh, so... Leviticus chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, reads like this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. How does it read for Qumran? And the Lord said to Moses, Command the children of Israel, saying, When you enter the land which I am giving to you as an inheritance, you and you dwell upon it securely, you shall bring wood for a burnt offering, and for all the service of the house which you shall build for me in the land, to lay it on the altar of burnt offering and the calves, dot, 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 for Passover sacrifices and meat, peace offerings and thank offerings and free will offerings and burnt offerings daily, dot, 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 and for the doors, and for all the service of the house you shall offer, dot, 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 the festival of oil, the twelve tribes, they shall offer wood. Those who offer on the first day shall be Levi, and dot, 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 on the third day Reuben and Simeon, and on the fourth day. Oh my goodness, none of that is in the Bible at all. Why are they doing this? Well, they have a feast of oil, a festival of oil that they want to introduce, and something that's been called the festival of wood. Again, not in the Bible. And nowhere in the book of Leviticus are you going to read about God saying, hey, you're going to build me a temple. You're going to build me a house. That was never part of the plan in Leviticus. It's not part of it at all. Instead, what does God say to David when David wants to build a house for the Lord? From 1 Chronicles chapter 17, starting in the first verse, hear the word of our Lord. 
Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies." Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever." In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all his vision, Nathan spoke to David. So, God says, you know, I haven't needed a temple. I have not needed a house. I go with my people. I care for them. Tell you what, David, how about I build you a house? Because ultimately, Messiah is going to come from there. Jesus, the real anointed one. That's better. We'll establish your land. But yeah, you're going to have... You're going to have one of your sons build a house for me, but don't worry about it right now. So why would Qumran add to the Bible to contradict what God said? To contradict as though God said in Leviticus, yeah, you know, so the plan is that you're going to build me a house. And when you guys do it, you're going to have these festivals that Moses never talked about that I'm going to talk about, a festival of oil, a festival of wood. Let's go ahead and do that, guys. They're adding to the Bible to contradict the Bible, to make God speak out of both sides of his mouth here, because that's what they want. This is how they want the Bible to go. They modified it much in the same way just about every stinking cult likes to do that. Every single cult out there that doesn't like what the Bible says and can't rationalize away the stuff that they're seeing in the Bible. Oh no, they have to go about changing the word because Qumran was very invested in a temple. They wanted to take it over. They had ideas for all their God buddies to show up and hang out with all those totally not idols, but actually idols, things that they wanted. That's Qumran for you. They were willing to add to the Bible to give greater backing to their eschatological dreams of taking over the temple and, you know, killing everybody that they didn't like and establishing the true worship. And remember, as much as people might claim that the Qumran community had the inside track with God, they had the real faith, you know, 
As much as people say that, obviously they didn't. But Qumran certainly believed that they did. So when they add festivals that Moses never, ever, ever spoke of, when they add to the word of God to add these festivals, they can claim, aha, you're not even observing the feast days correctly. You're missing two of them. Hence us having a real legitimate right to take over, you see. <laughs> it's garbage. But all right, we're going to go ahead and close off today here with the paraphrase of Genesis and Exodus, which may or may not have been uh, a prelude to a sermon or maybe even a part of a sermon. Why are we cutting it off early? Because next week we get to get into their giants, their apocryphons here, some of their stuff that they thought Noah said and decided to say that Noah said. Yeah, we'll get into that and the watchers and everything next week. But we're going to go ahead and read through this really quickly. It's just a paraphrase here. The heavens and the earth and all their hosts he made by his word. And God rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made in his Holy Spirit, dot, 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 all the living and creeping creatures, dot, dot, dot. He put man on the earth to rule over it and to eat the fruits of the ground, dot, 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 without eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, dot, dot, dot. He rose against him and they forgot, dot, 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 with an evil inclination and for deeds of peace slash payment, dot, dot, dot. Next fragment. Save Noah and his wife and the wives of his sons from the waters of the flood. God closed behind them, dot, 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 the windows of heaven, opened under all the heavens for the water to rise on the earth. Forty days and forty nights was rain over the earth, dot, dot, dot. And in order to know the glory of the Most High, dot, 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 to reach to him, he enlightened the heaven, dot, 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 sign for generations of eternity. Probably referring to the rainbow here. Sorry for the fragmentary dot, dot, dots. This is uh, kind of hard to get through. And nevermore will a flood destroy the earth. The periods of day and night, dot, 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 to shine on heaven and earth, dot, 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 their sons into the river. Uh, so we're getting to Exodus here. And he sent to them Moses, dot, 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 in the vision, in the signs and marvels, dot, dot, dot. And he sent them to Pharaoh, plagues, marvels for Egypt. And they carried his word to Pharaoh to send away their people. But he hardened his Pharaoh's heart to sin so that the men of Israel might know for eternal generations. And he changed their waters to blood. Frogs were in all their land and lice in all their territories, gnats in their houses, and they struck all their dot, dot, dot. And he smote with pestilence all their flock and their beasts he delivered to death. He put darkness into their land and obscurity into their houses so that they could not see one another. And he smote their land with hail and their soil with frost to cause all the fruit of nourishment to perish. And he brought locusts to cover the face of the earth, heavy locusts in all their territory to eat everything green in their land, dot, dot, dot. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he should not dismiss them in, in order to increase wonders. And he smote their firstborn, the beginning of all their strength. Okay, so it's just a summary with one notable exception here. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart to sin so that the men of Israel might know for eternal generations. The Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It does not say God forced Pharaoh to sin. But this is a, an interpretive summary here that the Qumran community is offering us in alignment with their theology. Not much else to say because, again, they're just trying to summarize the events. Probably as part of a sermon or a lesson or something, just jotting down some quick notes on a piece of paper or papyrus for them to then discuss in one of their services. 
But next week we get into some of the crazy apocryphons here that they would not have considered apocryphal. They would have considered this uh, legit Bible. And we'll get into that next week as we start to delve into the really crazy stuff. All right, but I'll catch you all next week. Amen and amen.